Amen. Well, I'd like to invite you this morning to take your copy of God's Word and join me in turning to the Old Testament book of Psalms. Specifically, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 150. It's the last chapter in this great book of the Bible, Psalm 150. Well, if you've had a good time at church so far, say amen. 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 We're having a great day. And as I said earlier, we've spent the last several weeks in this series we've called Learning to Live. And our premise, the big idea, has kind of been this. In general, when somebody's born, they instinctively know how to stay alive. Their heart knows to beat, their lungs know to breathe, their mind knows to function. And, and yet there's a big difference between staying alive and making a life. So you're born knowing how to stay alive in a sense, but you, you have to learn some things to really make the most of your life. That's where education and experience and things like this come in. And so you've got to learn to really live. And we've allowed that to serve as a picture of when someone is born again through faith and that which Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. They're born into the family of God and there's a type of life that we receive from God. It's everlasting life. It's eternal life. It's unending life. And so we know that we have life in Christ that's going to last forever and ever and ever. But when it comes to practically living the Christian life, We all have room to grow. We all have things we need to learn. We all have truths we know that maybe we haven't yet put to practice in our lives. And so we've got to learn to live. Now, I want to say very early on in our study today that our motivation for what we do in the course of our Christian lives, if you're a Christian, our motivation is in no way to gain the acceptance or the approval of of God in that way. Because if you're a believer, you've already been accepted. We're not trying to work off a debt with God. We're not trying to stay on his good side, so to speak. We're we're not trying to uh, make sure that we do enough to keep God happy with us in that sense because the baseline of a life that's well lived for God is the understanding that we are accepted in Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 1. He said, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Jesus is the beloved. And the Bible says that he made us accepted. We could never make ourselves accepted. It's by the grace of God. So from an understanding of the grace of God and that work he does within us, we're not responding from the premise of fear, trying to appease an angry God. We're responding from an understanding of grace that says, man, God loves me so much. I want to do for a God who loves me like that. Now to this point in our study, we've talked about some areas in which we can learn and grow in our Christian life to make the most of it. And we began by talking about the Bible. And you have to begin with the Bible because it's the foundation of everything else. Of all the doctrines that a Christian or a church may believe, the very basis always has to be bibliology or the study of the Bible because every other doctrine comes out of that. And we've got to base our Christian lives on the Word of God. And and we said it this way. We need to get in the book, get in the book, get in the book until the book gets in us, until we're thinking Bible thoughts and speaking Bible truths. We began our study by considering the Word of God. We, We talked about the value and the role of prayer. What a privilege it is to boldly enter into the presence of God and to talk with him. And we learn from the Bible that we are to pray continuously. That's what the Bible says. And, and we're to pray thankfully. It doesn't matter what we're going through. We can come into the presence of God already with a heart filled with gratitude because however big our problem is, it's not bigger than God. And so we can always be thankful in our prayers and we can pray purposefully. We're, we're specific in our prayers, not vague in general, but, but specific. Last week we talked about sharing our faith and the value and the importance of that. 
And I want you to know that when you learn the baseline in the Christian life is to live it understanding God's grace and we're accepted in Him, doing what we do, responding to His love, responding to God, there's a Bible word for that. And the Bible word is worship. It's worship. Responding to God. It it literally means to ascribe worth or value. The old English form of the word worship literally was worth-ship, worth-ship. It, it means to ascribe worth or value. And, and uh, we know that worship is essentially, and I love this definition, it's all of God with all of me. I'm responding to all of God with all of me. That's worship in our lives. It's living a life that exalts or lifts up God. And, and in that sense, everything we're covering in this series deals with worship. You can read your Bible as an act of worship. You can pray as an act of worship. You can share your faith as an act of worship. You can give an offering as an act of worship. And so everything we're talking about in this series, in a general sense, deals with the topic of of worship. But this is such an important part of our lives that I want to spend this entire study considering a component of worship. And for the first time in over 18 years as the pastor here, I want to bring a message to our church today about our worship when we gather together as a church family. I'm talking about what we do in this room when we get, get together, all right, as a church family. Now, let me announce in advance of the rest of this message that I know when I talk about how we worship, I'm treading into dangerous territory for a lot of reasons. The biggest reason is because you all, all have a way you would prefer to worship. When we come together, everybody has a background, everybody has an experience, everybody has an idea, everybody has their preference of of how they would like to see a worship service conducted. And at the risk of sounding like a politician, I'm not prepared to say that any of your preferences necessarily are wrong or inferior or superior. I think we all can go ahead and have a preference and let's just call it what it is. It's kind of our preference. When Christians gather together, some like to sing songs like Shout to the Lord. And most of the people that like to sing Shout to the Lord are in their 30s, and they go back in their mind's eye to when that song was just coming along, and it took the Christian world over by storm, and that song meant something to you. It, it in many ways, represented that generation. And, and for some, that, that song for them, that's just the pinnacle. That's the apex. It gets no better than that. I think we should sing that song every single week. Others uh, like to sing As the Deer. That song was sung here not too long ago, and I heard someone say, boy, that's an oldie. And I thought, wait a minute, if that song's an oldie, I'm an oldie, okay? Because... That's kind of the people in my age range. When that song was, was the, the rage, everyone was singing. That's kind of where we connected, and it meant something to us. And it seems like every generation has their song that, that they think of. And, and some people here today, your, your way that it should be done is victory in Jesus. And I'd rather have Jesus. And probably you're in your 50s or older, and those songs were written in the 1950s. And for you, when you were coming along, that was just it. That was how it was, and that's how it shall ever be. Some of you really like the song a mighty fortress is our god and it's because you're 487 years old and you learned it in the church nursery okay and so all of us kind of base our opinion our ideas on what it should be like on our own experience i want to say every song i just mentioned today i believe are great songs i don't think a song is great because it's old or because it's new you judge it on the merit and and we sing a pretty diverse range of songs here at coastline in fact sometimes people have a hard time figuring us out they don't quite know what what group to put us in because uh, we, we we do things sometimes a little bit different in that regard and i like it we all have a way in which we like to worship 
Some are very serious and very reverent. You're, you're just amazed by the holiness of God, and for you to be in His presence is to be still and calm and quiet. Very reverent. Some of you are just amazed that God has saved you, and you're just so overwhelmed by that thing that He's done in your life that the emotions are involved, and, 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 and you're, you're more uh, outgoing in the way that you would choose to worship. You all have a way that you prefer. But I want us today to consider not how you'd prefer it be done or how I'd prefer it to be done. I want us to wonder, how would God prefer it to be done? I think a better way to say that is, how would God require it to be done. When we talk about worship, we almost always talk about how it should be done, and churches have split over this topic, denominations have split over this topic. This is a hot topic, and this message has been literally percolating in my heart and mind for going on two years, as I've been pouring myself through this topic and seeking to learn and grow, and I'm, I haven't arrived, you never do, but I, I'm growing, and I think it's important to talk about how we worship. Jesus talked about how we worship. Maybe some of you will remember in John chapter 4, we, we get the picture Jesus is speaking with someone and the topic of worship comes into the conversation and, and Jesus made the point in, in that conversation in John chapter 4 that we're to worship in spirit and in truth. Now the word spirit means the animating force of a person. So when we worship God, Jesus said it's to include the animating force of a person. There's something that's going to happen. We might say that's our heart. We're to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and that would be our mind. And so we worship God, according to Jesus Christ, in spirit and in truth. We worship with our head and with our heart. Let's say that together. We worship with our head and with our heart. And that's what Jesus taught us. But I really do believe that when it comes to worship... We all know how to do it. In fact, I would submit to you today that I think even people who would say I'm a non-believer, I think they know how to worship because I believe God created us as worshipers. In fact, I want to go so far as to say this. I believe every one of us worships every single day. And uh, I, I want you to watch this little video to kind of get the mental picture, picture of what I'm talking about. So let's watch this real quick. I want you to get the point that everything we watched in that video was worship. It was describing worth or value. Now, our worship to a sports team should be less than that which we would ascribe to God. But the point I want you to make is no one had to teach those people how to go to a sporting event or a concert or a political rally and express their approval of what was going on or the approval of the one who was doing what they were doing. It was just something instinctive. And did you notice that just about every crowd responded in very similar ways? I believe God made us to be worshipers worshipers and so we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning thinking of not just how to worship but more than that who we worship what kind of worship does god require 
We have a passage before us today that I'm going to move quickly through, but I pray that it will help us to be a people that truly worship God. It doesn't, uh, doesn't deal with our preferences, it deals with God's. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to Psalm 150 today. Psalm 150. In verse 1, the Bible says this, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. So I'm going to read on, but in the middle to the end of verse 2, the Bible says we're to praise God according to His greatness. How many of you believe our God is great? How many believe our God is really great? Well, when the Bible says praise Him according to His greatness, it means in proportion to. So our praise of God should be every bit as big as our estimation or esteem of God is. We're to praise Him in proportion to how great He is. Verse 3, praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Yep, it said dance right there. I can't believe that. It's right there in the Bible. It says that. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And just for good measure, praise ye the Lord. All right? Uh, If you read through that passage with me as I just did now, it's no mystery to you to know that we'll be talking about how we can praise Him. All right? And uh, I look forward to what it is that we're going to learn today. Let's have open hearts and open minds and let God's Word speak to us today. Our Father, we are so thankful that you are good and you are real and you love us. And Lord, you're so patient with us. And I would ask that you would allow this study today to open our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would be people who are worshipers of God. Help this message to lead us to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. You can be seated. If you were to take your copy of the Word of God and just kind of let it fall open to the middle, chances are you would end up in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is more or less in the middle of the Bible, and the book of Psalms is the biggest book in all of the Bible. It's 150 chapters long, and the book of Psalms is essentially a worship book. In some ways, it made up the songbook for the Hebrew people that followed God in this time. It's a book that talked about what worship was and how it was to be done. And again, as I said, it kind of was a manual. Here's the process through which you go to worship. And then we come to this 150th chapter. It's the last chapter in God's book on worship. And it's really the the, the definitive synopsis that God gives to His people when it comes to the topic of worship. God knows that we love to get together and talk about how do you like worship? Well, how do you like worship? And God says, look, enough of that. Let me enter into the scene and let let me from my word tell you what I require in worship. Yes, you have a personality and you have opinions and that's fine and well. but, But God in this book and particularly in this final chapter is saying, why don't you listen to my word and you'll discover what it is that I want to see in worship. And so we're going to deal with that topic, not our preferences. We're going to deal with God's requirement. What kind of worship touches the heart of God? To deal with this, we're just going to ask and then answer four questions today. If you have your notes nearby, you're going to need them, all right? So grab them if you can. And the first question we're going to ask today is this. Where do we praise Him? Where do we praise Him? And back in verse 1 in in our chapter here in 150, Psalm 150, the Bible says, Praise ye the Lord... Praise God in His sanctuary. 
his sanctuary. Now, at this time, the sanctuary of God was a very specific place. I mean, they were, there were latitudinal and, uh, and longitudinal coordinates. You could know where the sanctuary of God was. It was located in the nation of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, within the context of the temple. And that's where people could go to commune with God. That's where they would go to worship God. It was a place, it was a sanctuary where they could go and have that time with the Lord. But I want you to know, in so many ways, the day in which we're living is superior to that day and let me share one way with you we know today that if we're people of faith and i'm not taking for granted that everyone today here is a christian if you're not i'm glad you're here i hope this is helpful but for those that are christians you've got to know something that when you became a christian the bible tells us that god the spirit took up residence within you no longer does god abide in a sanctuary in a city in a faraway place god now abides right inside of you. Your body is in, in a sense become the sanctuary, the dwelling place of God. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, he said this. He said, what? And I love the way he gets into this. He's kind of like, I can't, I can't believe you guys are missing this. But he said, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Listen, this means that we worship Him with, with our hearts and with our minds. It's an inside-out type of thing. You, personally, are a tabernacle, if you would, of worship. We're to worship God with all that we have. The verse goes on to say here, praise Him in the firmament of His power. Now, I would imagine many of you are like me, and I have times when I read the Bible where I'll read a word like that. You know, we worship Him in the firmament. Oh, okay, great. Next verse. And... And yet, as, as I was pouring over this chapter, I decided, you know what? I'm looking up every word. I'm not, I'm not skipping over all of it. I can't say I explain everything or understand everything, but I'm going to look everything up. And when I look this word firmament up, it means an expanse of celestial bodies. So apparently the Bible's telling me that while I'm here on earth and I'm praising God, that I'm participating with something that's a little bit bigger than just what I see. You see, when we get together as God's people corporately to worship at Coastline, when we sing, we're singing together. And I believe in the local New Testament church. We are a local church, but within the, within the context of, of God's great work, we're adding our voices to Christians around the world that know God and love God and worship God. And I believe that even in the expanse of the celestial, in heaven there are people there who certainly know God, who worship God, and we're joining in with that. And I really believe the Bible is saying don't lose sight of the enormity of this worship and enjoy your part in it. Some of you have said to me, Pastor, I just have a really bad voice, and you probably probably do i don't know maybe you do maybe you don't but one of the great things about being a part of a choir that's that big is you can just go ahead and let it fly man no one's going to stand out when they understand the enormity of it all just sing to the lord with all of your heart when we worship god we're joining a mighty chorus that reverberates far and wide where do we worship god in our heart and in our head in our minds here's the second question today why do we praise him why do we praise him now, in verse 2, the Bible goes on to say this, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Again, just going through this, trying to get as deep as I can in this passage, the idea of mighty acts was just contained in, in one word, and, and it means an act of accomplishment. 
So we're praising him for his mighty acts. In other words, for the great accomplishments that, that, that God has, has enjoyed. And in and, and, and all of the works that God has done, really nothing comes close to stirring my heart or to uh, coming as close in terms of, of, of enormity as the work of salvation, the accomplishment of salvation, redemption. As Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us in John chapter 19 and verse 30 that, that as he was there, he said this. He said, it is finished. And then the Bible says he, he bowed his head and, and he gave up the ghost. And, and Jesus was saying in that moment, in that way, mission accomplished. I did what I said. This is a mighty act. I've, I've accomplished the goal that was set before me. Our solar system is 100 light years across. And within that, that expanse, there's just a little speck that would be overlooked were it not for the fact that it's the place we call home earth and on this little speck that we call home is 7.4 billion other people that we share this planet with and and yet god in the enormity of it all can look to the speck of our planet with 7.4 billion people crawling all around this this ball as it's floating through space and he sees individuals he knows you he loves you and he's extended his offer of salvation to everybody that's the joy of this all and it all speaks of his grace God created a perfect world. We entered into it and we chose to sin. And all of the ugliness in the world is connected to that decision to sin. Yet God in his great love saw our need and he became the solution to our problem. He died on the cross for us. And I'm saying today, we have every reason to praise him. He's a great God. Think of his mighty acts. Why do we praise for his mighty acts? Here's the third question today. How do we praise him? How do we praise him? Well, God gives a very detailed list here. For such a short chapter, God really gives a collection of what he wants to be involved. So let's look at verses 3 through 5, and let's not let my preconceived ideas nor your preconceived ideas paint this portrait for God. Let's let his word paint the portrait for us. So listen to what God says. He said, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals and praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Now, th this list of instruments basically covered all the instruments they had in the world at that time. It was as though God was saying, listen, when you're going to worship me, just bring everything you got and the kitchen sink. Let's just get it all involved. Uh, I want you to worship all of me with all of you. There are instruments here that you blow into and instruments that you strum and instruments that you hit. And we would call those uh, wind instruments and stringed instruments and percussion instruments. And I want to point something out today since we're talking about how God likes it, not necessarily how we like it. It's directed to him. So God says, let me tell you the kind of worship I like. At least at times, God likes it loud he says get out the loud symbols he said that he said get out the loud symbols he said now you have the what do you call them high sounding symbols he got those at times and and he said the the loud symbols as well this is what god is is telling us about a year and a half ago i was talking with ryan who leads our worship here and i was just telling about the study i was going through and i was learning and and uh i said ryan i want to ask you to do something i want you to go through the entire book of psalms God's book on worship, and I, I want you to find all the words that God uses to speak of worship. I want you to find them all, and, and if you would, define them for me and give me a little bit of the context, a little bit of the background. And, 
And uh, so Ryan embarked on this big study. And what he learned in the course of his study is there, there are a lot of words that are used in ways, but really there were seven major words that are really synonymous with worship. Obviously, they all have nuances and, and, and different meanings, but they all deal with the act of worship. And, and so he sent me an email with these words in Hebrew, their definition, verses that they're used in. And, and uh, I, I'm one of these guys, I can't keep an email in my inbox. Are any of you like that? I mean, I got to deal with it. It's either in or out. My, my desktop and my computer is always clean, very few folders, you know, and, and uh, that's just kind of how I am. This email has been in my inbox for, for over a year. I haven't been able to get rid of it because I kept going back to it and looking at it, reading over it and letting the list read me, so to speak. And, and, and really, it, it did a great work in my heart. And today, I want to just let God's word speak to you. We're going to look at the words that God uses to speak of worship, and we're going to consider the definition so that we can learn what God likes. How many of you want to do what God likes? Good. Most of us. Okay. Well, got a little work to do there, perhaps. If you have your notes nearby, let's get the first one. Here's the first one. Hallel. Hallel. This is the word from which we get our word hallelujah. Okay. Hallelujah. Uh, it, it most often in our Bibles, this word is translated praise. In fact, we read in, in Psalm 150, six verses, and 13 times in six verses, the word Hallel is used in there as praise, okay? So most often, that's how this word is, is translated. It, it means to celebrate, to celebrate. So God uses this word. He says, hey, when you're looking to me, I want you to Hallel. I want you to celebrate. In fact, that word hallelujah is a great word. It's a word that begins with the first part, hallel, and the last part is jah, speaking of God. And you put those two together, it means to praise or celebrate God. Some of you will remember when Moses was being introduced to God, he, he asked the Lord, what do I tell people when they ask me who's sending me? And God said, tell them I am is sending you. That's the name that God chose for himself. And we could wonder, I am? God, you are what? He said, I, I am whatever you need. I'm the all-sufficient one. I am God. And when we say hallelujah, we're saying I praise, I celebrate the all-sufficient one, the great I am. I want to ask you today, does your worship resemble a celebration? Because God said, we're to celebrate him. Let's look at the second one. Yada. Remember him? He's a little guy in Star Wars, I think, right? Yada. And uh, this is a great word. It means to praise God with extended hands. That's what the Bible dictionary told me. Praise God with extended hands. In, in verse uh, or Psalm chapter 9, rather, David said it this way. He said, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Praise there means to lift your hands. How many of you are glad for a new worship season beginning uh, uh, this week called NFL? Any football fans out there today? How many of you know what happens when someone scores a touchdown? How do you signify the touchdown? Right, good, like this. Any basketball players out there, a few of you? Uh, you know what happens when someone makes a three-pointer? This is the sign, man. And I think God's saying, I'm far more important than NFL. I'm far more important than the NBA. I'm more important than any of that. If you're, if you're going to worship me, yes, people instinctively celebrate with raised hands. But God says, I want you to yada me. I want you to praise me with extended hands. And worship is to include hands raised to God. A moment ago, I, I shared that God has called us to worship him in spirit and in truth. I was raised in a wonderful church with wonderful Christians. I'm so very thankful for them, and I don't want this to come across as being uh, negative, but I think if the church in which I was raised erred on one side or the other when it came to spirit or truth, we were definitely truth people. We were truth people. 
And I don't know that I was ever taught in church that emotion when it came to worship was wrong, but you kind of got that idea. I mean, we came in very quietly and very still and, you know, very little smiling or just, you know, I mean, the truth was solid. It was very good. And I don't know what would have happened had a Christian in the midst of singing a song of worship to the Lord, if they'd have raised their hand, I think an usher might have escorted them out of the auditorium, you know? It's like, uh, we got a hand raiser on row number four, get him, get him out of here, you know? And uh, that would have been the end of it. And, and so there was, there was very little spirit, all right? Uh, a lot of truth, I'm thankful for that. Um, not a lot of spirit, not a lot of spirit. We were the frozen chosen, okay? And uh, there we were, we were just there. And, and uh, now, to be fair, I visited another church some time ago and and again, I'm not trying to sound like a critic. I'm, I'm trying to help you understand where we're going with this. And this church, man, you talk about filled with spirit. I mean, emotion was just on. It was happening. It was very exciting. It was dynamic. And I kept waiting for them to get to the truth. And the service came and the service went. And there was just no substance. Never really got around to opening the word of God and rightly dividing the word of truth and teaching the whole counsel of God. And I didn't see much feed the flock of God going on. And and God says, I want you to have spirit and truth. I want you to have your heart in it, and I want you to have your head in it. God says, I want both. So we're to Hillel, we're to Yada. Let's go to number three, Barak. Does that sound familiar? It should. It's our president. He's in China today, I think. Read that in the paper. Uh, this is different, though, okay? We're not talking here about our president necessarily, but, but uh, this is a Bible word, and it means this. I love this. It means to praise by kneeling or bowing. Can I ask you today? What brings you to your knees? What brings you to your knees? And God is saying, listen, I, I want to be such an enormous part of everything you do that the thought of me brings you to your knees one of the things i love about the way we end services here at coastline is we just take time for those that want to pray and i love it when people say god within the context of being with the family of faith as you've spoken to me through the entire service through the music through the preaching through all of it god i want to bend a knee and spend time talking to you in prayer look you don't have to pray in a church or at the front of a church historically we call this an altar a place of prayer and decision and i think it's wonderful when people say god before i leave this room i'm going to get on my knees in your presence and in the presence of my uh, family of faith here and god i'm going to worship you and talk to you and and praise you god says i want you to barrage me i want you to bow on your knees i want you to kneel and talk to me about what's going on with you a couple weeks ago i was complaining to my wife about some things going on in my life she's very patient she listened listened very well uh, and then and then she said uh, well steve are you praying about this don't you hate it when your wife just starts preaching to you like that you know and the problem is i I had talked to a lot of people about that problem. I hadn't mentioned it one time to God. I hadn't said one thing to him about it. And so I had to decide to get on my knees in worship and say, God, I'm here to worship you, and I want to begin by confessing I can't, and I'm here today to acknowledge you can, and so God, here I am, I'm worshiping you, I'm bowing before you, I'm on my knees kneeling before you, God, because I'm up against something that's bigger than me, but it's much, much smaller than you, God, I need your help here, and God says, that's what I want, I want for my children to barack me, I want them to come and to kneel and bow before me, let's look at number four, Zamar, Zamar. 
This means to clap, to sing, or to play an instrument with joyful expression. In fact, really the big idea in this statement is joyful expression. And did you know you can have joy when you look to God and worship? As we talked about prayer a couple weeks ago, uh, I talked about coming into the presence of God thankfully. Paul wrote a book talking about prayer from a jail cell, and he said, still, be, be thankful to God. And it's similar. When we come to God and worship, we can have joy because it doesn't matter what we're going through. We're coming to a God that's bigger and greater than all of it. And God says, I want you to zamar. I want you to clap. I want you to sing. I want you to play your instrument. Whatever you're doing, he said, do it with joyful expression. That leads us to number five. Shabak. Shabak. This means an unashamed shout. An unashamed shout. One, one definition said that it is not the idea of just being loud. It's the idea of putting your heart into it. So it's something that's just in your heart and you're just like, mm, that's good. You know, just that, that shout. I've had many times over the years, some of you in this room have said to me what I'm going to share right now. I've had many times over the years where after service we'll be talking and stuff and people come up to me and they'll say, you know, Pastor, man, in the middle of that song or at that point in the message, man, I just wanted to shout. And I always think, well, why didn't you? Who told you to and who told you not to? This isn't how I do it. We're not talking about how you do it. We're talking about how God requires it. Now, this, is, this would be a good time for me to throw the caveat in. Don't be weird on this, okay? <laughs> because anything that takes away the attention from God and even the teaching of His Word, there's another word for that other than worship. It's just distraction, okay? So there's an appropriate way for, for this to be done, but... But God says, listen, I want an unashamed shout. I want someone that says, you know, no, no, I'm sorry. No, forgive me. I I can't be quiet about Jesus. Sorry. I'm sorry. When we talk about the victorious bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead and that he wears the victor crown, and when we're talking about behold our God, no, I'm sorry. I can't act like nothing's happening. I can't be stoic about that. I can't act unmoved. We're talking about my Savior. I've got to feel something, and it's going to bring a response. God says, Shabbat. Psalm, Psalm 47.1 said, clap your hands, all ye people, shout, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Number six, tauda, tauda. The great thing about these words is if I'm mispronouncing them, no one would know, right? <laughs> tauda. This means to worship by extension of hand. Now you say, we already covered that. I know, I'm not repeating myself, God is, okay? So we're just going through God's words here. This is what God said. But this is a beautiful uh, definition, I love this. To worship by extension of hand in adoration or agreeance. Now, I, I want to be clear, is this up on the screen? What, what I'm going to read next literally was the definition. It doesn't sound like a definition the way it was written, but this is the definition. It says it usually accompanies a sacrifice, so it's the idea of hands that are giving, a way of saying, this is the definition, it's a way of saying, I don't care what you think, I agree with God. That was a real definition. It's, it's an act of reverence before the Lord where, where our very gesture says, I'm less concerned what everyone around me thinks, I'm more concerned with what he thinks. Psalm 42 and verse 4 says this, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise. With a multitude that kept holy day. You see, when we're agreeing with God, we have to be honest about our sin. We have to be honest 
with our need to repent. We have to be honest with the work of forgiveness that only God can do and honest to receive that forgiveness as it comes. If we're unbelievers, it begins as we're honest with His work of salvation. And as Christians, we've got to be honest with that work of reconciliation that we can't generate on our own. We receive it from Him. God's talking about a heart of worship here that, that just comes into the presence of God saying, God, I agree with you. Whatever you say, it's true. I acknowledge that you're always right. I praise you for that. I worship by way of extended hands in adoration representing agreeance and bringing a gift. And that leads us to number seven, Tehillah. That one just sounds a little scary, doesn't it? Tehillah. This means exuberant and spontaneous singing. Exuberant and spontaneous singing. Psalm 100 verses 2 and 3 says this, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. That's the word here. Exuberant, spontaneous singing. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. God loves exuberant and spontaneous worship. So, where do we praise Him? Church? Heart, good. That was a little clue when I went like this, okay? All right, where do we praise Him? Heart and head. All right, we're going to start over. You guys, you're, you're failing the test today, all right? I'm either a bad teacher or you're bad students, and it's probably you. Okay, so where do we, where do we praise Him? Heart and head. All right, good. That's good. You got that right. Uh, let me ask, why do we praise Him? For His mighty acts, for His work of redemption. How do we praise Him? We praise Him with all that we have. And finally, that leads us to the last question. Who needs to worship? Now, I want us to listen to the very last words of the very last chapter of God's worship book. God gives us a synopsis, and before the Holy Spirit sets the pen down, before he steps away from the computer, so to speak, what's his last word on worship? Here it is. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many of you have breath today? Good. Thank you. Very good. You know what God's saying? He said Psalm 150 is for you. For you. Now, I said who needs to worship, not who should worship. I said need because worship really is a need in our lives. In other words, if we don't have worship, we're not fulfilling the full purpose for which we've been created by God because God created us to be worshipers. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20, he said, For ye are bought with a price, therefore, he says, therefore, on the basis of your salvation, on the basis of the payment that Jesus meted out on your behalf, on the basis of who you are in Jesus Christ, therefore, he said, glorify God. Writing to the believers in Rome, in Romans 15, Paul said this to them. He said that ye, you all, that ye may with one mind, the mind of Christ, and one mouth glorify God. He said, listen church, let me tell you what to do when you get together. Find your agreement on the truth of the word of God, and then as, as one voice, praise God and worship Him. And my prayer for our church is that we would be followers of Jesus Christ who learn to live the life of of a worshiper. I, I hope we worship God when we're all alone, when we're at the grocery store and in traffic, and, and yet I hope when we gather together in this place that when Jesus looks in, he finds what he's expecting to see in the hearts and lives of his worshipers. I, I wish I had time to tell the whole story, but I don't. 
But in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we find an occasion where the people of God were having a horrible time. The enemies were closing in. I'll just paint a little bit of the story. The enemies were closing in. It looked like their future was done. Nothing, nothing was going to happen good for them. It was going to be the end of their story. They were going to lose, and, and God intervenes, and, and God shares that uh, he, he's going to save them. And, and, and in the midst of this story, we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the Bible says, and when they began to sing, and that's a song of worship, and to praise, that's Hallel, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. I mean, let me tell you what happened. God's people were having the kind of day where it just looked like this is, this is the worst day of them all. You've had days like that. They're looking at their country and they're thinking, this is the end of our country as we've known it. It will never again be the same. We're departing from everything that's been familiar to us. It's going to change dramatically. They were at a moment like that. But in that moment in time, they had enough sense to turn to God. And they remembered, God, life is not all about me and mine. It's about you and yours. And they began to worship God getting into the truth. And they began to discern and discover that God's a great God and that he does forgive. And that when asked, he can come into anything and he can change the situation. And so they went to God and worship. They began to sing. They began to praise. And in response to the worship that God's people gave God, God seeing that, seeing what he expects in his people, he responded and he came in and did what he said he would do. He saved the day. And I'm only left to wonder, what would your marriage or my marriage look like if I were to be a worshiper of God, someone that elevated God and saw him for the great one that he is and in response treated others different? I wonder what the future of your family would look like if you made a determination to seize your spot your god-ordained spot as a worshiper of god i i wonder what our church would look like if we could come together with that attitude that says no i i can't sit idly by i'm not going to act like nothing's going on here no i'm sorry i can't stand here with my hands in my pockets mumbling out the words to some songs because i'm not singing to you or the guy up front i'm singing to god i wonder what would happen here do you think that maybe just maybe a god who built his people for praise would take note that on this hillside and in, in, in oceanside california there's a group of people that are praising the bible way don't don't you think that god wants to do a great work and he would see there's a group that's honoring me through them I can I can do something special now I have to wonder what would happen in our country of people of faith who've played church so long we don't even know what real Christianity looks like we think living the Christian life means making it to three out of four Sunday mornings a month we've killed the big one I wonder what would happen in our country if people of faith began to live and worship God in sincerity, in spirit and truth, from our heart and from our mind. Listen, look up here. Some, some of you are crabby with this message because it's a little different than how you've done it. And you've already missed the point. I don't have an axe to grind. I don't have an agenda to push. I'm saying let's get in the word of God and let the Bible speak to us. Let's let God's word tell us how he wants things done. I want to ask you a question today. Are you a worshiper of the Bible kind? 
Well, I don't, I don't really do it that way. Listen, are you a worshiper of the Bible kind? Don't answer it out loud, but it's just kind of a yes or no type of a thing. And I want to be. And I want to pastor a church filled with people that want to be. We grow in this. But I think a great starting point is just that heart that says, God, I'm not asking how the church I grew up in do it or how the one I went to one time do it or how did that one do it. God, I just want to know what do you want, what do you want to see when you see me worshiping? And let's let God's word tell us how it should be done. Would you all be so kind as you join me in standing? Why don't we bow our heads in a spirit of prayer? Our Father, we come to you grateful that you have given us through Jesus Christ access to your presence. And Lord, I pray that we would be people without pretension, with no pride, with no prejudice, people that would come to your presence to praise you, to lift you up, God. I pray that we would worship you with our heart and with our head. I pray that we would worship you because of your mighty works. God, I pray that you'd help us collectively in a spirit of unity behind one truth and as though we're one voice. I pray that we would worship you. God, I pray that we'd let your word speak to us. And may it change us. Friends, I wonder how many of you here today would say, you know, pastors, you went through that message. There was something in there that I think was good for me to hear. Something that got me thinking. I wonder, are there those in the service this morning who'd say, Pastor, there was some value for me being here today. There was something good that I gleaned from my time in this service today. Are there those by the testimony? Just a quickly raised hand. Pastor, there was something for me in all that today. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now, friends, I want you to know that we can't even really begin to worship God until we have a relationship with God. I mean, you can't worship God for His mighty acts if you've never experienced it. And, and the mightiest act of them all is God's willingness to save us from our sins. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, Pastor, honestly, I'm just not sure if I really have that kind of relationship with God. I'm not sure if I were to die today that I'd spend eternity with Him. But you're here today, and you're at least honest enough to say, you know, but if I could know that, I'd want to, I'd like to. I wonder, are there those this morning who'd say, you know, Pastor, that's kind of what's rattling around in my heart today. I, I'm really not sure where I'm at in my relationship with God. I, I just don't know. And you're thinking, Pastors, you'd think of every hand that was raised today. You could think of me in that group. I'm, I'm just not sure. And if I could be, I'd like to be. Are there those this morning by testimony? Just a quickly raised hand. Pastor, you can pray for me. Pray for me. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. You could think of me. Maybe you've been saved today and not yet scripturally baptized, or perhaps the Lord is putting membership here at Coastline on your heart. Just follow the leading of God. Here's how we're going to conclude our service today. In a moment, Ryan's going to begin to sing, and we're going to have an opportunity to, to do some Barak we talked about, to spend a time in prayer. 
maybe some today before you even leave, you say, you know something, I'm going to bend a knee in reverence and respect and worship to God. I'm going to talk to Him. I'm going to let Him know what's on my heart, what's on my mind, what I think of Him. And maybe you want someone to pray with you. I'll be here and others that serve with us. Or maybe there's a spiritual decision in need of being made in your life. Now's the time.